Good afternoon. It is Friday, July 2nd. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group. And my guest today is B.J. Gallagher. And B.J. is the author of a book called It's Never Too Late to Be What You Might Have Been. And if you guys haven't seen the cover of this book, I just absolutely love it. Uh, It happens to be very apropos for our group. It's the picture of half of an egg with a a, a shadow of a a yolk and a chicken walking away. (laughs) So uh, couldn't be more appropriate for our group. BJ, welcome. Thank you. So why don't you give us just a thumbnail sketch of you before we dive in and start talking about uh, what got you to the place where you wanted to write this book. Sure. Well, I am in uh, sunny Southern California. I know we have a couple of other California women on the line. I'm in Los Angeles. And um, let's see, I've been self-employed since 91. I'm a uh, an author and a speaker and a consultant. And before that, I was the manager of training and development for the Los Angeles Times for a few years. And before that, I was the director of training for the University of Southern California. So you can tell I'm a I'm a California girl. And let's see, I'm single. I uh, live with <laughs> eight cats, a dog, and a rabbit. Oh, my. <laughs> so I have and a, hopefully are really good friends with the vet. <laughs> <laughs> I think the vet has a condo in Hawaii with, uh, <laughs> with what I've spent over the last 20 years. I never intended to have that many pets, but, you know, things just happen. They show up. Um, and out here, when we refer to the industry, we're talking about show business because <laughs> that's the dominant industry here in L.A. So if somebody says I'm in the industry, that means they're in movies or television. So it was interesting to hear that folks in the travel business refer to themselves as the industry, too. Well, this this group uh, certainly had its roots in a, a core group of about 30 women who uh, – had known each other for a very long time, and uh, we founded the group in 2008 with uh, essentially 30 women, grouped to 100 by the end of 2008, uh, grew to about 400 by the end of last year, and uh, made the strategic decision as a board to expand beyond the travel industry, and so have uh, got a lot of folks who have joined from service industries and... um, you know, uh, we've got entrepreneurs, we've got corporate women, we've got people who work for smaller companies, family-owned companies, uh, so a really, really uh, broad range, but I do get a big kick. Well, the travel industry is the largest industry in the world, so I guess it's, it's a it little really? bit fair. It, yeah, it's a, to call it the industry is uh, probably not too far off. But uh, let's, let's uh, talk a little bit about your book. Is this your first book? Oh, heavens no. I think this is my... 22nd or 23rd book I've I've lost track since I crossed the 20 mark I'm you are a brave soul you are a brave soul I've written a few and and my books my first few books were uh, primarily for my my industry and uh-huh. and were very much you know kind of industry reports that were dry and boring and you know had lots of statistics and charts and stuff in them and uh, you know it's really been my heart's desire you know i know a lot of people say they've got a book in them uh you know i think I've got, everybody does yeah yeah i've got dozens so i but but i am always amazed to talk to somebody who has published many times because i know what it takes 
to get it out of your mind and your heart onto these pages. And and as our regulars know, I'm also a real sucker for great layout and really, really <laughs> engaging design. And your design of your book is brilliant. I just love it. Thank you. Well, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to the to the publisher, for those of you who haven't seen the book, you know, she, Chicky already described the cover of this little, this little newly hatched chick taking off across the, the the cover. In fact, you can only see his his her feet and her tail because she's she's gone, she's moving. <laughs> and inside, it's two color. It's it's a sort of a, it's a really pretty blue and and black. And there's there's little chick tracks across the pages, and there's eggs, and the whole thing is about, uh, and it, you know, about being on the move. And new, eggs symbolize new growth, and springtime, and new beginnings. And so it's really perfect for the theme of the book, which is it's never too late, because everybody in the book is over 40. They range from their 40s into their 80s. And these were people I profiled, I interviewed them, and there's a few famous people in there as well, who decided that whatever age they were, they were going to do what they wanted to do, whether it was making money or becoming creative or becoming athletic or finding the love of their life. So um, so there's chapters on all of those things. It's never too late to find true love. It's never too late to go back to school, it's never too late to make money, or it's never too late to be athletic. Well, you know, it's it's so interesting. Um, our group uh, ended up with the moniker of, of EGG, obviously because of being the executive girlfriends group. And, and I wanted to be able to pull together a woman's group uh, of professionals because while I'm also a mother, uh, you know, certainly the predominant part of my life is 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 the business uh, aspect of who I am. It's kind of you know ends up being larger than life even with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at the same time, the the whole notion of of girlfriends and and being able to get to know people in multiple dimensions was really important to me. And you know, it wasn't until later, honest to God, that I realized that egg and my name being Chicky actually went together. <laughs> and and my my very dear Dear friend Carolyn Corda, who is on the phone, you know, continues to uh, harass me about that and says how excellent that is. Excellent. And, uh, yes, and she has all kinds of fun things about that. But um, you know, I do love. Uh, I, again, I, I'm a very visual person, so when you have this forward motion of, of this chick just, you know, getting on with it, it, it just really excited me. So, so why this book? Who were you writing it for? I mean, you already told us that, you know, it basically has stories from uh, women 40 and over, which the, the bulk of our members kind of fall in that. We do have uh, a number of very, very successful uh, women under 40, uh, several of whom are on the call today. And um, so, you know, this this is uh, very very interesting to a large number of our our members. Well, it's really for anybody who, um, and, and there's some men profiled in the book too. It's it's not just women. There are probably more women than men, but there's a few couples and there's a couple of men in there as well, like Dennis Hopper and Colonel Sanders, and um, there was a, a news a male news reporter. And um, you know, it's for anybody who's ever heard that voice in their head. It says, oh, it's too late. Give it up. It's too late for you. And in some businesses, for instance, my son's in the in the music business. In the music business, 
if you haven't made it by the time you're 25, it it that voice comes up that says it's too late. Right. Um, so so depending on what your business is, is, is that voice can um, can kick in at a relatively young age. And I think for me, it started a, a couple years ago. I was I was coming up on a big birthday, you know, one of those with a zero attached to it, and um, I was putting on my makeup one morning and. That voice started in. I noticed some 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 lines around the eyes, and the voice said, "Oh, it's too late. You know, Mister Wonderful just isn't going to come along. You're too old now." And and then another voice came, "Oh, it's it's too late. You're never going to make a lot of money. Oh, it's too late. You're never going to make it to the New York Times bestseller list." And b- before I knew it, there was a whole chorus of voices going, oh, no. "It's too late. It's too late." And I, I I got kind of bummed out for a few days, and then I was doing some research, and I came across I, I somehow I'd forgotten this quote, but I came across this great quote by George Eliot that said, "It's never too late to be what you might have been," and it jumped off the page at me, and I said, "That's it, that's it, that's going to be my new mantra." From now on, so never mind whoever those voices are that are saying it's too late. I don't buy it. Go away. I don't believe you. I'm gonna I'm gonna decide right here and now that it's never too late to be what I might have been. And, and did you then know was, at the time that George Eliot wasn't in fact a man? Yes, I did. I did. I, I re- didn't I didn't know that story until I read the introduction. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have said that, shouldn't I? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um George Eliot was an English um novelist who wanted to be taken seriously by the literary community in in England at the time she lived. And at the time, women were free to write, but they wrote what she called silly romance novels. And she wanted to write serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And she knew in order to be taken seriously, she had to write under a man's name. Uh, it also happened that she was having a scandalous love affair with a married man, so she had two reasons for changing her name. <laughs> oh, you didn't be put told. That in the book. <laughs> yes, truth be told, it wasn't all about you know just just. Uh, anyway, she had two reasons for for disguising her her gender. Although it 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 got out. I mean, after a few years, people knew that it was really uh, her real name was Marianne Evans. Uh-huh. And, and um, so anyway, I, I, I love the quote, and I was talking with one of my uh, my editor friends, and I happened to mention, she goes, oh, I love that. Would you write a book for us on that on that topic? And I said, well, sure. How long do you want it to be? And um, that was that. Interesting, interesting. Well, I think it's it's actually very interesting that the first quote in the book uh, as you begin chapter one, which is "It's never too late to make your dream come true," is a quote from the first female chief of the Cherokee Nation. And and when we were all waiting for everyone to get on the phone, I was sharing that we uh, just actually vacationed in in uh, Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh-huh. And uh, she said, uh, "I think you have to take charge of your own life and understand that you're either going to live somebody else's dream or live your own dream." And yeah. uh, you know that is really really inspiring. And I I think the interesting thing and and, and so many people over the course of the last year or two years have either lost their jobs 
or been afraid they were going to lose their jobs, or like me, have have uh, taken a look at, at my 15-year uh, entrepreneurial odyssey and said, you know, either is this all there is, or should I be doing something else? Or, you know, I hear so many stories because I do so many interviews. It's like, ooh, I want to do that. And yeah, that sounds great. And oh, wish I could have a, a book. And, you know, I don't want to always living, be living someone else's dream or, or, you know, I mean, I certainly am not in the, the class of thinking I can't do it because I, I, I probably err on the side of thinking I could do everything. Uh-huh. And certainly if you talk to my husband, you would find that out. So let's, let's talk about some of your favorite stories from the book because I think that that uh, in in books where you're profiling people that's always a great way uh, to dive in well one of my favorite stories I I, you know it's it's hard to choose because I like choosing between your children you know I I love them all Um, one of them was a story I did about a couple a high-powered Manhattan couple and he was uh, let's see she was an ad copywriter and he was an executive with, I think it was a paper company. I, I'm not clear of the details, but, um, and they really were, they were living the golden life. They had a beautiful Manhattan apartment. They had a home in the Hamptons. They went to all the A parties. They had tons of money, and they had it made. And, um, and yet the wife in particular, her name is is Lori, and she. She kept having the sense, like, is this all there is? Is this all there is? I mean, we've arrived, but somehow this is it. (laughs) And um, she started to talk to her husband about it, and they decided to explore some other options. And they realized it it wasn't all there is. And and so they, they sold their Hamptons house. They sold their their uh, Manhattan apartment. They both quit their jobs without another job to go to. And in the meantime, they had gotten out a map and they they chose where they wanted to live by process of elimination. And they ended up in North Carolina. And they had enough money. They had saved their money and, you know, through the sale of their properties. And they they had enough money, I think, to last. It was either two years or three years. And she became a dog groomer. <laughs> and, and of all things, she loved animals. She'd always rescued dogs. And she decided she wanted to be a dog groomer. But the difference is she thought dogs get freaked out when they get taken to the groomer. So she wanted to cater to dogs in their own homes so that they could be comfortable in their own environment. And her husband decided he wanted to be a coach, a small business coach for entrepreneurs. So they both went to school. She went to dog groomer school, and he went to coaching school, and they completely reinvented themselves. And now they're happily ensconced down in there in North Carolina, living a much nice, a, a much slower life, a more peaceful life, a more balanced life than they thought they were living in Manhattan. I thought that was a great story. Wow. Wow. You know, it, and, and it's so tempting now when, when things have gotten so challenging financially and, you know, we spent so many years just spending, 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 and, and now, you know, you do have to pay the piper. So, 
Um, I can tell you, we when we were on vacation, we went to visit some friends in North, um, not in North Carolina, in uh, Nashville, mm-hmm. and uh, they had downsized actually several times, and mm-hmm. both gone into real estate after completely different careers. And, you know, they were living in this house that cost them maybe $180,000 and, you know, had previously been in, you know, half a million plus. And I'll tell you what, my husband and I sat and looked at that and we thought, hmm, wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're living in a small town uh, outside of Nashville. And and so, yeah, it's tempting. And, um, you know, so it isn't all about just, uh, you know, I've always wanted to be a doctor and I'm going to go back to med school. So let's talk about uh, a couple of these other, uh, you know, kind of the the tips, which is the other thing I love about books is it's one thing to tell stories, but I love a layout that gives practical tips. And so you have some never-too-late trips for making your dreams come true. And if you don't mind, since I don't know if you have the book open to this particular page, I'd like to read through them. And then uh, maybe maybe you could just, uh, you know, kind of add to the thought process for Mm -hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Number one is to create a mental picture of what your your life would look like if you were living your dream. The mind thinks in pictures, so make a mental movie of your dream come true. Play and replay this movie often. And number two is to manage your motivation. Read books, watch DVDs, listen to CDs that help keep your enthusiasm, energy, and commitment high. Number three, keep your eyes and ears open. Opportunity is everywhere if you're alert enough to recognize it. Number four, practice active gratitude. Take a few minutes each day to notice the things in your life that you're grateful for, the place you live, your cat, your pets, treasured possessions, friends, your job, etc. An appreciation of what you have brings more good things into your life. Number five, ask for what you want. You might be surprised how often you can get it. And, uh, you know, for those who are regulars on the Executive Girlfriends Group call, it's just amazing the, you know, kind of the thread even over the course of the last couple of weeks of of the different authors that we've had on that that weave these same things into their message. So, so BJ, uh, you know, obviously these things um, uh, are a very practical way to move forward. What is, um, you know, one of the most... um, uh, and, and I don't want to use the term outrageous because that's really not what I mean, but, but somebody who, who really has taken these tips to heart after reading the book and who's contacted you and said how the book has actually changed their lives. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure anybody has. <laughs> well then, well then, everybody that's on the call needs the, to read the book, and they need to contact. See, that's you. one of the things about being an author is that you're you're very often, or I'm, you know, I do most of my work alone, and every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody that that says your book touched my life, or uh, or it re. More often, what I hear is it reconfirmed what I already thought. Or it gave me that little, it, it it rarely is it like, oh my God, I never thought of that. It's usually more, it just gave them the extra ammunition, it gave them the extra, um, the extra push. I can tell you that I, my publishers sent me to Book Expo last year with 500 copies of this book, and people were lined up for the book because of the title. Right, and what I heard people as they were standing in line, they would say, "My wife needs this, my son <laughs> needs this, 
My husband needs this. Oh, my God, can I have two, one for me and one for my sister? And so you're right. It, this For the last couple of years, I think largely because of the recession, that um, people have been displaced. Um, they've lost jobs. They've lost businesses. They've lost homes. They've lost a lot. But I can't tell you the number of people who have also said it's been a blessing. Right. Because without the recession, they just would have gone on doing what they were doing, and they weren't necessarily happy. And that that um, you know, it's that old silver lining thing that sometimes when you lose something, there's a haiku I think I put in the book that it's an old Japanese haiku that said, "The barns burnt down." Now I can see the moon. Hmm. And that sometimes when we lose everything, we begin to see everything anew. And it gives us the courage um, that, what was it, Janis Joplin said, you know, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. If you don't have anything to lose, you're more likely to take a risk and say, well, what the heck? I might as well go for what I want. And that's what I tell people is, there isn't a job you can't lose, a house that can't burn down, a bank account that can't be wiped out, or a loved one that won't that can't die or leave. I mean, ultimately everything's impermanent. So you might as well live the life you love. I love that. I love that. And uh you know, I think as, as we take a look at, at what we think we might have lost, um, you know, it, it is very much the story of, of the barn and the moon because you know, as you look back at the black holes in your life, you know, diamonds are in there. And mm-hmm. if you if you don't have them, uh, you know, you can't get to that place. So you have a couple of chapters about career. And, you know, even though we do have some folks who are, are very happily ensconced in corporate careers and, and uh, you know, who are interviewing for new jobs, uh, talk to us a little bit about the career thing. Because, um, you know, again, a lot of people get stuck in a particular industry or in a particular job within an industry or a sector within an industry, and they spend their whole life there. They do. And, and, and um, it's, not, it's not for lack of creativity or thinking about something else. And some people are quite content to stay where they are. But what I, what I encourage people to do is to listen Listen to your intuitive heart. Pay attention to your energy. When when you see someone doing something, it gets back to the to the to the tips that I outlined there. That um, when you meet someone who's doing something that really excites you, and you go, "Wow, wow, that looks really cool. I, I might like to do that." To pay attention to that because that's your internal guidance system that's giving you signals. It's sort of like, you know, you walk into a boutique because you saw this great outfit in the window and you go, oh, that would look great on me. Those are my colors. That's my, oh, that would be. It's the same with jobs. It's the same with, um, you know, with houses. It's the same that if we really listen and pay attention to our, our energy, our energy will tell us what's right for us and maybe what's next for us. And the second part of that is when the voice comes up that says, oh, it's too risky or you've got so much invested. The the way I counter that is I ask myself and I ask other people, if you knew you had only one year to live, is this how you'd want to be living it? Is that the career you want? Is that the house you want? 
Is that where you want to be? Is this how you want to spend the last year of your life? Because the truth is, we don't know. It might be the last year of our life. So the challenge is, how do we live our careers and our lives, on one hand, as if it were the last year of your life, and on the other hand, as if we were going to live forever? So you want to live both of those things at the same time. Yes, we need to plan for the future and we need to be mindful of paychecks and benefits and things like that. But there's nothing sadder than someone who reaches old age and says, gee, I wonder what might have been if I had done X. Um, so I, I encourage people to to move a little more in the risk-taking direction. And at the very least, go check it out. One of the other topics that you talk about in the book is it's never too late to express your creativity. And and I know that oh, yeah. uh, some of us are are more creative than others. We have musicians uh, on the phone. We uh, we certainly have folks who are are artists and and uh, you know creative from that perspective. Um, you know, I didn't think I was artistic until I got invited over to somebody's house once. And it was a whole bunch of women, and in fact, it was the wife of, of a guy that I knew, and I had never met his wife or her friends. And I was a little bit intimidated because when I walked in, they all had these big pieces of pottery, and they were going to be painting pottery. Wow. And thank God they had a big stack of art books, and I took out a, a book about Monet paintings, and I copied a painting onto a piece of pottery. And it, I still have it today, and it's beautiful. Cool. And I, I found out that not only was it uh, fun and pulled out my creativity, but it actually was incredibly uh, relaxing for me. So one of the things that I still love to do today and my 12-year-old daughter loves to do is to go to the pottery painting place. So uh, for those who aren't creative, um, what kinds of things do you tell them uh, about how to pull that out? Well, first of all, I think everybody's creative. They just somehow have either convinced themselves or somebody told them they weren't creative. You know, when you get a bunch of little kids together, um, five-year-olds, and in a kindergarten class, and you say, how many of you are creative? I guarantee you almost 100% of those hands will go up. They'll go, I'm creative, I'm creative. But as you go through school and say they're fifth graders and you ask them, well, maybe half the hands will go up. And then by the time they're in high school, maybe... 10% of the hands will go up. And so, you know, what happens is we, we, we've designed an educational system that encourages one kind of thinking and discourages the other kind of thinking. And, and here's what it is in a nutshell, that we're, we're capable of divergent thinking and convergent thinking. And convergent thinking is what school is really good at which means there's one answer to this problem. Two plus two always equals four. The Declaration of Independence was signed on such and such a date. It never changes. There's one right answer. But little kids are born being really good at divergent thinking, like, you know, how many uses are there for a paperclip? Oh, wow, Look, at least 100, at least 100. And that's not even including clipping papers together. You can do all sorts of things with a paperclip. Little kids know this, and so you know we know that human beings are born creative, almost all of them, if not 100% of them. So all we need to do as adults is to learn how to go back and 
and build up those divergent thinking muscles that we used to have when we were younger. And you'd be surprised how creative people really are who think they're not creative, who think they're not creative. And, you know, some of the things I've done in my in my own life um, are, um, uh, first of all, I read that there's a wonderful book called, called The Artist's Way that probably everybody is familiar with. And it's a wonderful 12-chapter book, and there are Artist's Way groups around the country, and you can join a group, or you can just work with the book on your own. But the most important thing in that book, Julia Cameron's the author, and she said, we have to give ourselves permission to make bad art before we can make good art. That Picasso didn't start off being Picasso. Right. And, you know, Steven Spielberg didn't start off being Steven. They, they made bad art before they ever made good art. And then if we can give ourselves permission to do that, then over time we might actually create some good art. So I would say look for look for look for things that excite you. Uh, again, like like a job or a house, but look for like oh, painting furniture that sounds like fun. Or recently, I took a class in 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 decoupage, where you simply take a piece of furniture, you paint it white, you buy a a jar of this special kind of glue. And the guys who taught me, they use cocktail napkins. And and you tear pieces of cocktail napkins and you glue it down and you cover it with, with um, polyurethane. And I thought, I can do that. I, I can't draw, but I can paste. Um, <laughs> I can't paint, but I know how to, uh, I, I, can do, I can play with clay. There's a wonderful story in the book about an army intelligence officer, a, a female army intelligence officer who, after 20 years in the Army, retired and became an artist. And her specialty is faux finishing. I didn't even know what faux finishing was. <laughs> I mean, she transformed a house. She transforms buildings. She did a book called The House That Faux Built, based on a house that she rehabbed after Hurricane Katrina to raise money for the Katrina victims. I mean, to go from an Army officer to a full-time artist, hey, if she can do it, we can all do it. Absolutely. Well, uh, again, you know, one of the things I love are, are the practical practical tips. And, and for being creative, you used an acrostic of cultivate an open mind, open eyes, open ears. Reach for new experiences. Explore ideas. Act on impulse and intuition. Take risks. Invite color and light into your life. Veer away from conformity and express yourself. Yes. I absolutely love that. Yes. Um, yes. And, ab have and above all, give yourself permission to make bad art. <laughs> That's a great place to start. It will free you up because you know you're making bad art. It, it, it's just it's, That's the best thing I can advise people is start off making bad art and see where it takes you. Very good. And um, one, uh, uh, the the book has so many nuggets in it, and some of them, you know, have to do with with careers and going back to school. And we just talked about express your creativity, and there's a whole section on gathering wealth and uh, becoming athletic. But uh, since we do have a couple of single people on the phone today, I'd like to <laughs> to close with zeroing in on on finding true love. 
Yes, that's. I, I knew you were going to go there. That's a. It's that's a never great, too late. <laughs> it is never too late. And the, the people I interviewed in the book, um, I think two of the couples were over fifty, and one was over forty. And um, and then there was a celebrity couple, Tom Poston and um, oh, what's her name? The, um, I can't. I'm blanking on her name. Suzanne Plachette. That's it, Suzanne Plachette. Thank you. And um, because I've heard two two contrary pieces of advice about finding true love. One is uh, make it a project and treat it like a project. That, that worked for me. <laughs> you have a goal, you have a plan, you have a strategy, you get out there and date, and it's like finding a house, finding a job, finding a daycare center, whatever. You make it a project. You know, For me, it was like getting a dog. Um, I, I, I knew what I wanted. I had a plan. Uh, and then there are people who are 180 degrees on the opposite side who say it happens when you least expect it. You have to let go of wanting a man, um, and then they'll show up when you least expect it. Now, who's right? I, I think they both are. because they, actually, Yeah, and actually mine happened while I was making it a project, but it happened in a very unexpected way. <laughs> I, you know, so I, I tried to include uh, stories on, on, on both ends, and there's plenty of evidence that both of them, you know, both of them can, can work. So I, I think... I guess the bottom line is that, first of all, being clear that that's what you really want. I went to a, a therapist a few years ago, and, and she specializes in helping helping women find mates. And I said, well, I, I'd like to get married. And she looked at me, she said, why? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. And I said, uh, same reason I wanted a dog. You know, I haven't had one before. And so I think I'd like to try that. I mean, in reality, I was married when I was 18, but I was so young and so long ago, I, I hardly count that one. But it was just sort of the same thing. Like, I don't have to have a reason. I just want one because I want one. And she said, well, you know, a relationship is a very good alternative to a marriage. It doesn't have to be marriage. I said, I got that. I've had some relationships. I, I think I'd like to try marriage. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I've heard woman after woman say, it, once they made up their mind that that's what they wanted, the universe started to fall into place and things started to happen. And that, uh, so I think that's the biggest first step is being really clear, like, yep, I want one of those. Well, and again, in in uh, keeping with the the practical tips, uh, the tips for uh, finding true love are, are getting clarity about the kind of partner who would be right for you. And I think that that really is half the battle. And and writing a list of of the most important characteristics that you want, so that you can recognize them, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And creating then that mental picture. But you know, again, for me, the interesting thing was, uh, you know, and this was over twenty years ago, mm-hmm. what I thought I wanted and what I thought was perfect for me was the complete opposite of not only what I got, but what I now know I needed, because my husband is absolutely perfect for me. I I can't tell you how many women I know who would say the same thing. I have a girlfriend who introduces her husband as, you know, this is my husband, Rob. We've been married 26 years, and he's not my type. (laughs) Because when they met, and so, you know, I, you know, I guess one of the tips would be to, to be open-minded. 
right. that what you think you want may not be what you really want. Uh, but to do some research, date lots of people, I found that a lot of dating really taught me what I didn't want, oh, that yeah. I didn't even know was important to me, like, oh, oh, I didn't, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I didn't even know that would never have been on my radar. Right. So also to know what your deal breakers are. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, somebody who didn't like animals, well, we shouldn't even go out on a first date. That's right. a deal breaker, you know, in this household. So, uh, you know, there, there's some really wonderful, um, wonderful tips in there about about how to do that. Yeah, and I have to laugh at your second one because it's understand that your perfect partner might show up in unexpected ways. He or she may not look exactly like what you had imagined. There Take time go. to look below the surface and don't make snap judgments. I happen to have married my husband uh, two months after I met him, but that was 20 years ago. So I think my snap judgment actually turned <laughs> out in the end. <laughs> yes, it did. And then uh, the the last three are put yourself in social situations and places doing things that you enjoy. You want to meet someone with common interests, so stay yes. busy doing the things that you love. Flirt and flirt often. And then tap into spiritual resources as a part of your quest for true love. And I love that and, and uh, you know, would kind of like to close on that note. But I would like to give uh, folks a chance to either comment or ask questions. And, and again, for those of you who uh, have not gotten a hold of this book, it's called It's Never Too Late to Be What You Might Have Been. The author is B.J. Gallagher. And it's available on the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, website. We have uh, a public website that has a bookstore, and you could just click there. Uh, BJ, before we uh, go on to questions, um, why don't you tell them the best way to reach you? Oh, I'm very easy to find. My my website is bjgallagher.com, and that's uh, G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R, uh, first initials BJ. So they can find me on my website. Uh, they can find me on Huffington Post. I write almost weekly for Huffington Post. In fact, I just posted a wonderful piece a couple days ago called The Women's Declaration of Interdependence. So uh so if you're near a computer you might wanna you might wanna check that out. My book yeah, and I all posted in... that on my Facebook page. Oh fabulous. Today, so, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. So I'm easy to find. I'm I'm easily findable on the web. Uh, my books are in bookstores. They're on Amazon, and um, you know, I, I welcome email because being a writer is a solitary life. Absolutely, and and BJ, I would uh, also encourage you to make sure that all of the information is correct on your profile on the Executive Girlfriends Group site. Uh, even if you don't come there regularly, Good, um, go it's look. a great way for people Thank to you. go and find you. And there, there's also a blog uh, entry there where we've got other folks who write for Huffington Post and some other uh, you know, major publications, and, and they quite often will just copy their uh, their information in so that everybody can see it, or at least a link oh, to Oh, terrific. It. Great, I'll do they that. They can come over, and it's uh, really easy to use, and, and again, it gives uh, folks a way to find you. So I will upload a picture of your book so folks can find that. Thank and you. do we have anybody who has a question or a comment? And don't forget to unmute if you have uh, somehow muted yourself through this. Star six, right? Yes. I have a comment. Sure. This is Kim, and I ha- have you been residing in my head? <laughs> <laughs> I am every woman. What can I say? I am every woman. 
I'm a little bit older than than some of you, and and it's like you know, oh, I'm out of time. This is just all there is, and I, and I hate that because it's uh-huh. not. I know uh-huh. it's not. Uh-huh. And and the creativity, I love that paint bad paintings because I've been creative since I came out. I'm just you know, overloaded with it. Drives me nuts sometimes because if I don't use it, I'm not very much fun to be around. Yes. But I just, I, and, and the one, you know, the relationships. Yeah, I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> I have to decide if I really want one or not. That was the whole thing. You know, I think that's really true for a lot of us. And I, I certainly that's true for me. I've been single a long time, you know, 40, uh-huh. 40 years now. And, um, and I just have to admit that there's, that clearly, it's not that there haven't been men. There have been plenty of men. I've had plenty of opportunities. And on some level, I have to acknowledge that I've chosen to be single. Yeah. That I've, you know, I've been engaged a couple times. I've had lots of boyfriends, but <laughs> I, my kid brother says I'm too picky. And but for me, you know, <laughs> the, the notion is, I I meet men. Well, sure, I'd like to spend the summer with him, or you know, a year with him. That'd be fun. But when the F word comes up, you know, forever, forever, it's like, oh, the criteria change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I want to thank you. I've, I've got to get the book and read it. <laughs> you're welcome. You're 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 very welcome. All right, great. Any other uh, questions or comments? This is Carolyn. I had a question. Um, I'm curious as to how you found the folks you interviewed, and and you know uh, what criteria you used as, as to um, you know which ones uh, made it into the book. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll tell you, the Internet has transformed the writer's life. I don't know how I managed to write books before uh, before the Internet and before Google. And so I, I plugged into two communities. I belong to a women's brainstorming group out here in California um, that has – there's about 350 women here in Southern California and another – three or four hundred up in Northern California. So I simply put a posting on our community bulletin board saying, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for stories about it's never too late. Career stories, love stories, fitness stories, whatever. I'm looking for stories. And then the second place I put a posting was um, I subscribed to a great PR service called PR Leads. And I put a posting there, which is, national if it's not international i'm not sure uh but it's at least national and so that's how i found people outside of california um you know an italian chef in philadelphia and the people in north carolina and uh you know people all a woman in michigan who who learned to fly after she turned 50 um so i would say tap into if you're looking to gather information or stories um, tap into groups that you belong. It's the power of community, and asking for what you want and putting it out there into a community, and just seeing what comes back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, I use Helper Reporter out, which is how I find most of the authors that we have uh, on the executive exactly. yeah. group calls. And I think that that might have been. Now, how did you and I get connected? I'm not even sure. I, I guess your PR person must have. I think so. I think my publisher either somehow you and my publisher connected because that's how it that's how it got set up. But yes, I help a reporter out. The acronym is HARO, H A R O. That's a free service and then there's another one called pitchrate.com 
which is a free service. Um, and then the, 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 the PR leads is a paid service, but it's not um, – it, it's where a lot of reporters and authors and publicists and people – but I'm sure every woman on this call belongs to several groups that um, – you know, that are just great resources for, I mean, you think about how do you find a hairdresser? You ask other women. And how do you find a, a, you know, a great restaurant to go for your anniversary? You ask other people. So it's just, it's always tapping into the power of community. And were there any, good. Thank you. Were there any stories? I, there were only a couple of stories that I didn't use. Um... Because what I would do is I would interview people over the phone first, and then I could tell pretty quickly whether I had the right story or not. So, And since I wrote all the stories, I certainly didn't want to spend the time writing a story I couldn't use. So I would interview them and say, mm, you know, I don't think that's nah, not quite what I was looking for. But I'd keep them on file because you never know what I'll be writing in the future. All right, well... BJ, thank you so, so much uh, for being with us, and uh, we are going to uh, turn off the recording right now because the rest of the call is uh, just sharing a little bit about what's going on in our lives, and uh, what is said on the egg call stays on the egg call. <laughs> I like that. Well, thank you for having me as your guest. I had a great time, and and uh, and I hope it was helpful to your to your members. Okay, great. Yes, and it will be available uh, for download uh, on both our iTunes site and also I put it on my Blog Talk Radio channel. Oh, terrific. And it will be available directly to our members commercial free. So um, I will send you that link just as soon as I've got it posted. Well, thank you, Chicky. I had a great time, and thank you for including me in the group today. Okay, BJ, take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye.